The Gemara in Yevamus on Daf Samach Beis and Beis speaks about these Yimei Asfira and the Avelos that we are Nayeg and describes the tragic death of the 24,000 Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva. Shnei Masar Elef Zugim Talmidim Hayulay Rabbi Akiva Migibas Vadantifras Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 pairs of students all over Israel. The Kulan Mesu Parak Echad, and they all died between Pesach and Shavuos. And the reason that the Gemara gives for their death is that Meshulay Nagu Kaved Zelazet. They weren't Nayeg proper Kaved, one for the other. And when we speak about people on such exalted levels as Rabbi Akiva and his Talmidim, we have to always give a very great disclaimer in huge banner headline fonts that we have no idea what we're talking about. When we start talking about the Talmidei Rabbi Akiva not being Naya Kavitzelazel or imaginations wander to what we don't do properly, when we're not Naya Kavitzelazel, so how we treat other people if we stuff them, if we bully them, if we uh, do shtick with them, if, we're, if we put them down, if we're, we ignore them, that's not what the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva did. The Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva were Tanoim, and they were living on levels of Ruchnius that we can't even fathom. But if Chazal tell us that they are not at least we can try to learn about improving our Kavitzelazet. Because after all, that's the point of the Avelos. If we're just going through the Masira and thinking that we're Yetze with the fact that we're not listening to music and that we are not shaving, that's not, that's the halachic purpose of the Masira, but that's not the the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is to take Musa from the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva and try to improve our own Bin Adam Lachadere. So I wanted to try to discuss what this means about not being Nayek Kabadzalazah. Again, not necessarily the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva who are untouchable. But in terms of us, if we're not how does that happen? Why does that happen? And how could we improve on that? This Lushan of not being when you see that Lushan of to me at least, it reminds me of something that we say every morning in Davening. When we describe all of the malachim, the malachim of Hashem are, they come in various forms. There's Aifanim, there's Srofim, there's Chayes HaKadosh, different fiery angels, angels of many different varieties. But the Tila describes how each of them are Mekabel Aleim Omalcha Shamayim Zemizah, one from another. And then they give permission one to the other. And what that means simply is that they're not trying to lord over other angels. If a Saraf sees one of the Aifanim, they don't pull rank and say, hey, you know, I'm a Saraf, you're an Aifan, or vice versa, I don't know, in the I don't know the hierarchy of Malachim, but if I would, I would venture to guess that as high as the Malachim are, regardless of who is the chief Malach, they still defer to the next person, to the next Malach. You go first. You're, you should be Nekadesh Shimcha Ba'ilam. You should say Kedusha first. And they give permission one to another, Lahaktish Liyetzim Benachas Ruach. They're not looking to be more important than another. 
They're not looking to say, well, you know, I have seniority, I'm greater, I'm smarter, I'm bigger, I'm more powerful than you. They're the opposite angels. Angels look to say, no, 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 please, you, after you. And another angel says, no, 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 you go first. You, you, you say Kedusha before I. That is the perfect type of relationship. That's an angelic relationship. That's a Ruchniya relationship of the highest order. When a person can be able to defer to another and not to insist on me being stronger and better than you, me taking precedence over you, I have to get the better keyboard and I got to get the better seat on the dais and I have to, you know, have my name first. No, 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 I'm happy to get my name last. You don't even have to mention my name. It's fine. That's what it means to defer one to another. That's in contrast when when we're not being that means that we're not saying, no, after you, after you. But instead we're saying, I'm first. I want to be the most important person. And that's a natural human instinct. Human beings are very much like that. Human beings are people that are obsessed by their own place in society, very self-centered, very self-absorbed about where my position is. I need the corner office, and I need the certain. I, I need to be on the letterhead, and I need to make sure that everybody knows that I'm the president of the shul, I'm the gabbai of the shul. People need to, to throw around their, their weight and to show how important they are. And that you have to take, you have to take a, a back place to meet. Malachim are not like that. Malachim are, they don't need the COVID. They're happy if you get the COVID. You know, there's so many stories with Sadiqim about how they came to a door together and they were both unwilling to go in first. After you, no, you're more chashev, you're more chashev. That's how angels are. Angels are people that they're constantly deferring to one another. I want to make you the boss. I don't want to be the boss, I want to make you the boss. And this is what means. That Russian of Zelazah, I think, is, resonates in contrast to angels who are nice and Rishot they look towards each other and give covet. I want to give covet to you. And the question is, how could we be more angelic? What's the secret that angels have that enable them to have such a beautiful relationship one with the other? Without competition, without en- envy, without any sense of, i got to win you, I have to beat you. And the answer is, as the Tzvila says, that what they're doing is, They all realize that there's one purpose in their life, and that is to be Mekadeshim Shemayim. They want to serve the Rabbeinu Shalom. If I really want to serve the Rabbeinu Shalom, it doesn't matter who is better, who is more important. As long as the Rabbeinu Shalom is being served, what difference does it make? If we're really serving the Rabbeinu Shalom Hashem Shemayim, doesn't matter if I'm smarter than you, doesn't matter if I'm a bigger lamdan than you, doesn't matter if I do better on a test than you. It doesn't matter because I'm happy. If you're Matzliach, that means that you're going to give more Kvayt Shemayim. If I come into the base Medrash and I see that you're a bigger Masmid or you have a more, gish, more of a Gishmak in learning than I do, okay, so I want to get there, but I'm happy that you're doing it because it means that Kvayt Shemayim is being Nisrabo. Angels realize that. Angels don't have the pettiness that us human beings have that we look at everything selfishly and say, if that guy is, is here that means that I'm lower than him and I have to beat him. Angels are just happy that the job is being done. And it doesn't matter who is 
the one that's giving more Kvayt Shemaim. As long as Kvayt Shemaim is being this Rabbi Lahakish, everybody's happy. We're all in the same boat. We're all on the same team. So there's no problems between us. But when we become human, human beings have this need to compete and to have kinnah and sinnah and sacharus, all these terrible types of midas that us human beings are not proud of, but we have, which could lead us to not be naye kavad I don't want you to be happy. I want you to be bad. I want you to do bad. I want you to, if I fail the test, I'm very upset. Why? Because everybody else passed. But if everybody fails the test, okay, I'm fine. Because it's all a contest. Now, how do angels accomplish this? Why do angels have such clarity and not us? We also want to be Marbek Vaishamayim, but why don't we have that clarity that angels have to be happy when other people are being Matsliach in their lives in serving the Rabbi Shalom properly? And I think that's also found in this Tfilah. Because in the Tfilah it says that Malachim have an advantage that we don't have. Malachim are always afraid. They're always full of this awe and reverence for the Rabbi Nisham because they are so close to him. They see him every single day. They're in the close proximity of the Rabbi Nisham. So they're able to understand how great HaKadosh Baruch Hu is and they're happy when he's being served properly. We don't have that ema. We don't have that luxury of being able to see things so clearly. And so that's why we tend to become competitive. When a person is threatened, when there's a threat that's in the air, people tend to have less competition. We only have the luxury of being competitive because things are okay for us. If things were threatened... If our situation in life got very bad, we would not be as competitive as we are. We wouldn't be competitive as, at all. There's a great vart from the great Lublina Rav, Rameir Shapiro, who founded the Dafyaimi and the Yeshiva Schachmi Lublin. He says that there's a nevuah that we lanes at the end of Pesach and Haftaira, the nevuah of Yeshaya Navi who says that when Mashiach comes, there's going to be a situation of a garza ev in keves, that a wolf and a lamb will be able to live together. And this, now if you put a wolf and a lamb in, a, in the same area, the wolf will utterly destroy the lamb. When Mashiach comes, they're going to be able to live together peacefully. So Rameer Shapiro says, I don't understand it seems like that's a, an unheard of event in history that we have to tell you that when Mashiach comes, this is something, a Chiddush, that's going to be in the world. Rameir Shapiro says that's happened before in history, that you had a Nacha, a, a Zev, and a Keves living together, and nothing happened. When did that happen in history? In Parshas Nayach. On the Teva existed every single min of animals, including a Kebes, including a Zev. They lived in close proximity and they never ate each other. They were fine. They lived amicably together. What's the Chiddush of Yemesa Mashiach? Sir Meir Shapiro says a beautiful part. He says that there is inherently a major difference between the Teva of Nayak and after Sayyamim. Because the Teva of Nayak, there was a mabel taking place in the world. There was an exi- existential threat that was threatening every single animal on that boat. And they realized that because there's such a tsarami bachutz, there's such an external threat, we have to somehow get along with one another. They were afraid of what would be. They, were, they didn't have the luxury at that point to bite each other, to, to hit each other, to consume one another because we are afraid just, we want to just survive. 
We don't have the ability to have a dog-eat-dog society on the table. We're just in survival mode. That's not such a chiddish that a zev and a, and a kebis could live side by side because when you're threatened, when there's a mortal threat, you're going to get along. You have to. But when in Akhers Hayamim, when there's peace, and still the kebis and the zev are able to live and not consume each other, that's a tremendous chiddish. That's the promise of the future time of Akhers Hayamim when in spite of the fact that there's shalom, there could still be a coexistence of a, of a kevas and a zev. When there's a threat, when there's ema, when there's yira, when people are afraid, we get along. You see this every time there's Rahman al-Tzan and Muhammad Eretz Yisrael. When there's peace in Eretz Yisrael, there is unfortunately very often a lot of fighting between Haredim and Chilonim and different types of Haredim, different types of Chilonim, and it could get very political in Eretz Yisrael. We know that about, yeah, the army, not the army, yeah, Tatilumi, you know, uh, all these things, these are all hot-button issues when there's peace. When suddenly Rahman al-Islam war breaks out, you don't hear any more Ketatis. There's no more Sinna, there's no Kinna. Everybody somehow gets together and the Haredim are giving blood for the Chayalim and they're volunteering and, the, and, and there's Shalom and there's Shalva and there's Achtos. Because when there's a threat, we get along. When there's aim of a Yira, there's, we can become bonded together through that, through that threat. Somebody smart once said that the Arabs want to destroy the Jews in Eretz Yisrael. They want to drive us into the sea, so they make wars with us. They start lobbing missiles in, and they do terrorist attacks. They, the, this person was saying tongue-in-cheek, but it, there's a lot of truth to it, that if the Arabs really want to destroy us, they should just make peace with us. Because if we make peace with the Arabs, we'll destroy each other. We'll take care of one another. We could take. We know how to destroy each other, Rahman al-Islam, in a very, very easy way. The Arabs don't know when they when they make Muhammad with us. That brings Achdus. That makes us a stronger nation. Ironically and sadly, but that's the way it is. When we have a threat against us, when there's Ema, when there's Yira, it brings us closer together. One of the great CEOs, Ayid, who started the Starbucks company, his, he's a Yid by the name of Howard Schultz. And he once went on a mission with a bunch of other very big CEOs, Teretz Yisrael. And they went all over, and one of the stops on their trip was to visit Reb Nassim C. Finkel, Zechitzadik Lavracha, the Rashiva of the Mir. And everybody knows that Reb Nassim Svi was a tremendous Gadol Batayra and he was a Tzaddik. But I think what's most known about Reb Nassim Svi when you conjure up the image of him in your mind, I don't know how many people were there to see him live, but he was a very sick man. He suffered terribly with a devastating illness of Parkinson's, which made his body shake violently. And there's some medication to make your body shake less, but he didn't want to take it because he felt it somehow clouded his mind and he wasn't able to think and learning properly. So he really suffered and had all of the dire symptoms of somebody suffering with Parkinson's. And whenever you saw him speak, it was pushed painful. I bought a, a video, like a CD that they were selling a couple of years ago about his life, and there is like hours of footage of him, and it's very inspirational because he was a man that in spite of all of those, those disabilities that he had, he was able to grow the Mir Yeshiva exponentially, and he was able to fly all around the world and raise millions of dollars a year for the budget of that Yeshiva. It's very inspirational to read about Rav Nassim Svi. He was an amazing man. Anyway, these 
Rashi, these, these CEOs went to visit Rav Nassim Svi and as it was, he was a good person to meet with because first of all he was a big Rosh Hashiva, perhaps the biggest yeshiva in the world and also he was American born he was born and bred in Chicago so he spoke English perfect you don't have to have a translator you could just sit and talk to these CEOs and give them some some words of wisdom I guess so they were sitting in the room waiting for him, all like very, very big CEOs, all millionaires, billionaires, and in comes Reb Nassim Svi. I guess nobody had sent them the memo that he was very sick, and he came in, and they felt so bad for this man in front of him, and in front of them that he was shaking, and he could barely speak, and he was very, it was a bad day. And basically, Reb Nassim Svi, after making some introductions, he said, gentlemen, I know that you're busy and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but tell me, I want to go around the room and ask you what you think is the moral lesson to take from the Holocaust. This week was Yom HaShoah, so I guess it's a good time to speak a little bit about, about the Churban in Europe. He says, what do you take out of the Holocaust? What's the lesson to take? So he went around the room and Howard Schultz is writing this. He's describing this, this experience, this episode, which made a very big impression on him. Perhaps more than any of the other things that he saw in Israel. This is what he wrote an article about. And he's not a, I don't believe he's, a, he's an Orthodox Jew. I don't know if he's observant at all. But this is what made a very big impression on him. So he said like this. He said that so he went around the room and, and people were asking him, uh, people were suggesting different things. One said, never again. We're never going to allow um, such a thing to happen. We're going to be a strong nation and we're going to have missiles and weapons. And, and the nothing see one after another, he was saying, wrong, wrong, wrong. And then finally, after he exhausted all these big, powerful CEOs in the room, he says, I'll tell you the lesson to be taken from the Holocaust. He says, the lesson to take from the Holocaust is that when there was a, a bunk in the concentration camps, and if anyone has visited those camps, you know how large those, the bunk beds were. It was basically maybe this, this wide. And they fit maybe five to ten people on that bunk bed, this wide, I mean, they, the people were completely emaciated, so it's not like they were heavy, but they're, but can you imagine Rahman al-Sahn having to sleep next to five or ten people in a small, in a small bed? He says, and the Nazis in Machshimam gave the Jews a little, a little blanket. It wasn't like a, you know, like a big plush down blanket. It was like a little thin blanket and small and skinny. And do you know what those Jews did in the Holocaust at night when it was freezing? If you ever go to Europe at night, it's really, really cold. So in Eastern Europe and West, wherever the concentration camps were located in the work camps, it was frigid at night during the winter. And they were all freezing cold. But you know those Jews, he said, in the Holocaust, they took their blanket and they spread it out. They extended it to the next person. They say, you take the blanket. And the other one says back, you take the blanket. And that's how they did it night after night. Instead of hopping the blanket for themselves, they were nice and reshuzelozad. They gave it to one another. I'm giving it to you and you're giving it back to me. And that's the way they were able to survive the war. And Ibn Svi said to them, the Rabbi Shalom gave each and every one of you a blanket. And very large blankets. Your job in life, and what you should take the lesson of the Holocaust back home to America, that you should take your blanket and spread it to as many Jews as you can. Don't keep it for yourself. Don't hoard your wealth. Don't save your power. Use your power, use your resources by extending it to other people. That's how a Jew survives. 
this Varda of Nasan Svi, I always felt, was really a reflection of something that Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, also Rashiba and the Mir, um, famously says, he has a Shmuz in Sichas Musar and Maimur Lamidvav. On a, there's a Pasuk in Mishli that we're all familiar with, Sheker Achain, Behevel Ayayfi, Isha Yiras Hashem Isisalo. So the measure says as follows. Sheker hachain, when it says that chain is a lie, charm is a lie, that's a reference for some reason to the generation of Moshe and Yeshua. The generation of Moshe and Yeshua was what the Pasuk calls Sheker hachain. The Hevel Ayefi, beauty is trivial, but Isha, Yiras Hashem, he says, how a woman who is fearful of God, she will be praised. Zedarish or Yehuda Rabbi This is the generation of Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eloi. Amra Lava Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eloi. Shayeshisha Talmidim Miskasim Mitalas Achas Vaiskim Batayra. It was a generation that was impoverished. There was very little food, very little money in the generation of Yehuda Bar Eloi. But there were six Talmidim that huddled together and they were miskaseh betalas echad. They covered themselves with a single blanket. That's Isha Yiras Hashem Hisisalol. The generation of Yudah they made do with so little. And they were able to cover themselves and warm themselves while they were learning Torah. Shisha betalas achas. So Pashtas, he says, Reb Chaim, that the Maila of the Dar of Rudabai is that they learned Torah Mitechat that even though they lived in abject poverty, they were able to learn Torah. But he says more than that, Reb Chaim. He says that it's physically impossible for, the, for six people to be covered by one blanket. A blanket, let's say, is a thin I don't know how wide the average blanket is today, and I don't know how wide it was back then. But one thing is for sure. One blanket cannot comfortably or even physically cover six men. They can. So what did they do? How were they able to stay warm? And the Russian of Rebchayim is that B'dayesh HaRab Yehuda B'rabilai Hayekal Echad Dayeg L'chaveray instead of pulling the blanket towards me, said, I should be warm, they cared only about the other person. And they pushed the blanket to the next guy. I didn't keep it for myself, I spread it to you. In such a way, when I care about you and you care about me, then... That was the Milo of the Dar of Rudabari Not just that they learned Tarimitachat, but that they were able to be nice to Rishot They were They were putting the other person first. I'm not thinking about myself always. I'm not always absorbed with, am I warm? I'm concerned, are you warm? Are you cared for? Did you eat a square meal today? Are you doing well in Shear? Are you happy in Yeshiva? I'm caring about you. When a person has the ability to care about somebody else and to push that blanket to the next person instead of keeping it for themselves, that's angelic. That's how Malachim are. That's the Mailah, the Dar, Isha, Yeras Hashem, Hisisalo. Because there's Yerushamayim. When there's Yerushamayim, the angels are able to do this because they have an existential threat. They're always afraid of the Rabbi That reverence keeps them together. Like on the Teva of Nayak. Like in the Holocaust. When things are threatened, all of a sudden you begin, you begin to realize that I want to help others. I'm not in this for myself. I want to share and I want to give. And I want to make you greater than me. That's what happens when there's aim of the era.
There's a famous Beis Halevi who answers the question of the Eben Ezra. The Eben Ezra asks a very basic, fundamental question on the last of the Aseris Adibris, of Waisachmai. Perhaps the most difficult thing to keep in the Torah. The Torah is telling you, don't be jealous. It's very funny. It's a funny commandment, don't be jealous. You could tell me to keep Shabbos. And you could tell me to honor my parents. And you could tell me not to kill somebody. Those are things that I, I could do. But you're telling me not to be jealous? I'm jealous. Too late. I'm jealous. If my friend all of a sudden gets a great job and he's getting paid, I don't know, a seven-figure salary, and I see him flying on a private jet and, you know, and, uh, and, and going out to restaurants every night and... and, and Beautiful lifestyle. I'm jealous. If my child needs a shidduch and my neighbor's children are all getting shidduch one after another, I'm jealous. Period. I'm just jealous. That's the way I'm built. I'm wired that way. The Torah is telling me, How could the Torah govern a feeling that I have? If you're not a jealous person, if there is such a person in the world that I'm not jealous of things, fine. Fine. So the Torah is good for you. What about for me? If I have that jealous trait in me, if I find myself constantly looking at somebody else, he's a bigger Tamil than I and I can't stand it. He wrote a bigger safer than I and it really bothers me. He's a bigger masmid than me. He, is, uh, he did a better shidduch. He got into a, a better graduate school. I'm jealous. Too bad. Tyrus saying, don't be jealous. Don't be jealous. I'm jealous. It's an emotion. I can't control it. I can learn Musa from today till tomorrow to stop my jealousy, but I'm jealous. The Eben Ezra has a famous Mahalach, we're not going to go into it today to answer this question, but the Beis HaLevi says the following beautiful Yisai to explain, to answer the question of the Eben Ezra. He says as follows, let's say you're jealous. You're jealous and you're walking home from Shul and you just saw that your friend, you know, I don't know, whatever. You heard that he did really well. He made a killer deal and he's now worth $10 million and you're struggling to make ends meet. And you're walking home from shul after hearing that news and you're really like seething with envy. And you're upset about it. It's really in your kishkis. It's knocking around this, this, I can't live with myself. It's not fair. And you didn't notice that there was a crack in the sidewalk and your foot gets caught in that crack and your head is going down. Right to, it's about to hit the pavement. And all of the natural, physical reflexes of the body start getting into place and, you know, the blood goes where it should and it starts clotting and it, whatever, whatever the biology of the human body is, when you're going down, your body starts freezing up and things start changing in your body to prepare for that fall because you're so scared of what's going to happen and your body automatically knows that and it starts changing. He says, as you're about to hit that concrete, are you still jealous? You're not thinking about your friend anymore. Right now, your mind is focused on one thing and one thing only. How am I going to survive this accident? All the other thoughts that you had in your mind, all the jealousy... Is gone. You're not thinking about that. It's not. It's not an issue right now. It's not on your front burner. It's not on your back burner. It's not. It's gone. Why? Because you're afraid. When you're afraid, you don't have jealousy. And so the Beis Halevi says, the Torah can mandate not to be jealous. But I. But I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah. You're jealous. But if you would have proper Yerushalayim if you would really be more afraid of God than you are, and God expects you not to be jealous, you would be able to stop being jealous because of your fear of God. God comes first. If I'm supposed to not be jealous, so then that fear of God should be able to supersede my natural jealousy. Because you see that you can avoid jealousy when you're afraid. Fear trumps jealousy. If you have Yerah Shemaim, if you have Eim of the Yerah, then you could be 
able to live nicely with one another, be happy for somebody else. It's just that we're not living like Malachim. Malachim have that Yerushamayim. Just parenthetically, if you think that, you know, it's an easy vart, the Beis Levi says, obviously it's, it's much easier said than done. And that's not me saying it. The Chazin Ish said that about the Beis Levi's vart. The Chazin Ish says, when somebody told him this vart from the Beis Levi to answer the Aben Ezra, he says, The Beis Levi himself was known to have that tremendously high level of Yerushamayim. I think they, they tell stories about the Beis Levi that he, by accident, once, uh, I don't know, touched something, that moved something that was muktzah on Shabbos. He did some Isra on Shabbos completely like misasik, and he immediately fainted on the spot. He was, he was, he had such Yerushamayim that he wasn't able to, uh, he just, he, he lived with Yerushamayim. The Beis HaLevi was on the level that his Yerushamayim was able to overcome and transcend jealousy. But the Chazanish says, unfortunately, it's very difficult for us to do. But this is the aside that I want to share with you today, that the Maila of angels, how they're able to always have Kabbazel is because they are always living in a state of Amon Yira. When a person's living with Amon Yira, things are different. If you have your Shemayim, or if, you're, if there is a mortal threat, a physical threat, something's taking place that's scary, we come together. We're perfect. And this is something that apparently on, on a certain level, very microscopically, the Talmud and Rabbi Akiva were not able to achieve. They were angelic. But they weren't pure angelic. They weren't able to mamish get to that madrega of being nice and reshuzelazet to be able to completely be deferential to one another. They had their stolt. They, you know, I'm, I'm me and I don't want to give you the covet. You should give me the covet. I have seniority. I'm older. I'm an elter bacha already. I, I learn better than you. I have more yichas than you. Whatever it was, something was dividing them. And Rabbi Akiva was the one to darshan as Hashem Aleikecha Tira as for Rabbi Samidei you have to be able to use opportunities in life to get your Shemayim you have to fear the Rabbi Nishayim you have to even fear your Abayim you have to fear Tamidei Chacham meaning you have to defer to everybody if there are other Tamidei Chacham you have to be impressed by them you have to defer to them. You have to have covet for them. You have to make sure to look at every other individual as being greater than you. And for some reason, the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva were not able to accomplish that. Again, if we would be in the Yeshiva Rabbi Akiva, we wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. Because it would be so... You wouldn't be able to see it, it was so minute. But something was not there. There was some lack of that feeling of aim of a yira that they were required to have. And this is something that was felt so strongly in Shemayim that there was a gzera against them. They had to all perish, Rahman al-Islam, during this period. And I think it's this period in particular that it happened in because this is a period that we're preparing for Kabbalah Satira. And Kabbalah Satera was the first time in Jewish history that you really saw Klal Yisrael come together ba'achtas. Ki ishechad b'leibachad. There was perfect achtas by man Tair. You know why? Because the Tair was given, as the Gemara says, be'emo v'yira, b'reses v'zeya. There was such yira shamayim. They saw palpably the Rabbeinu Shalom at Hasina. They felt it. They were tremoring. They were so scared. The Tair says... The Gemara says in Brachas that when we learn Tyre, we're also supposed to learn Tyre Kinesi Nasa, as was given originally. We're not supposed to be learning Tyre with our feet up on the chair and with a coffee in one hand and a, a cigarette in the other hand. And that, that's not the way you're supposed to learn Tyre. Tyre is supposed to be in a posture of Amon, Yira, and Resus, and Zaya. There's supposed to be a fear associated with Tyre. And when a person is able to learn Tyre, with that sense of Matan Torah, of Kabbalah Satayra, that itself 
will enable us to have more respect for one another. Taira unifies Klai Yisrael because there's that essence of I'm doing this for the Rabbeinu Shalom. There's an Ema associated with Taira. There's a year when there's Ema Nira, there's Achtis. The great Rav Mordechai Schwab was a mashkiach in Muncie. And it's funny, I, I recently went to his kever to visit, but honestly I didn't go to visit his kever. I went to visit a kever of some of, of a different tzaddik, the, the Ribnitzer Rebbe. Ribnitzer Rebbe was a very, very famous tzaddik, and people go to his kever from all over. If you need any Yeshua's or Rafuis and you're, you know, you don't have to go to Eretzisrael, you don't have to go to Europe. There's plenty of kvarim. If you're into davening by Kibbeit Sadikim, there's plenty of kvarim. You don't even have to go to Mansi. There's literally five minutes away from Yeshiva. If you go on the Jackie, you go to create, there's, there's, there's amazing Sadikim. Rabbi Yaakov Yasef, the first chief rabbi, the chief rabbi of New York, a gain and a tzaddik. People go on his. I, I went this this past summer on his yard site there, but there's hundreds of people that come, thousands maybe, and um, there are many many kivrei tzaddikim. Rav Hanach Leibowitz is buried there, and uh, and the Chavetz Chaim's Rebetzin, believe it or not, is one of the Rebetzins of the Chavetz Chaim was buried is buried literally five to ten minute drive from here. But in Muncie, there's this uh, there's a tzaddik called the Ribnitz Reb, and I, I I needed a Yeshua for some reason. I needed some help, and I went to Daven there, and it was on the way up to visiting there. It was, we were visiting my daughter in camp, and, um, and on the way up to the Catskills, we went through Muncie, and I stopped by the Rivnitzer's Kever, and an hour after I Daven by the Rivnitzer's Kever, I got a phone call, and the issue that I was, that I was hoping for, Baruch Hashem, happened. Mamash, a half an hour to an hour after I left the Rivnitzer's Kever. But when I was looking for the Ribnitz's Kever, I, I just looked, you know, I was driving through the cemetery and I turned to my left and there was a Mardechai Schwab's Kever. Mardechai Schwab lived in Muncie and he was, he was buried right there. So I davened by his Kever also. And Mardechai Schwab in his Sefer, Maimer Mardechai, when speaking about this topic, about the Ignite Chabad Zalazet, he says that he remembers when he was a Bacher in the Mir Yeshiva in Poland. And he describes so beautifully, just to give an example of how Yeshiva Bachem should be Naye Kabbat He says that whenever a Bachem came over to another Bachem to ask a question on the Gemara, that Bachem that was being asked, who presumably was a better Bachem in learning, obviously, right? Otherwise you wouldn't go over to him. That Bachem always made sure to stand up. He would stand up and answer the question. And he says, this was a living example of how a Yid, how a Ben Terah has to be Nayyad Kavitzelazah. It's very, the, the human thing to do is that when somebody comes and asks me a question, I sit down. Obviously, you're, you need me. You're schwacher than me. So, you know, I'm the king here right now, so I'm going to sit down and you're going to ask me the question. In the mirror, they didn't look at it that way. In the mirror, they had lions walking around the mirror. Tyra lions, that new color Tyra Kula. And they stood up for every bacher, big or small alike, when they were being asked a question. Because there's never a... You always have to be deferential to another ben Tyra. Another ben Tyra is mamish. Esther Rabbi Semedichachamim. To all yidin. But Bifrat a ben Tyra, if you're a yeshiva bacher, you know what a yeshiva bacher is? You have to have the proper Eretz for each other. You can't take them for granted. You have to honor each other. You have to respect each other. You have to stand up for one another. The Ramban, in his famous letter, he writes a few lines that, that are very telling. He says, when he's speaking about Anivos, he says, Adam ye gadol mimcha 
every single person should be greater than you in your eyes. Meaning, there are two types of people. Some people walk around and say, everybody is lower than me. Why? Because I have something that nobody else has. I'm better, I'm, I'm richer, I'm smarter, I'm better looking, I'm more athletic, I, I have a better yichas, I have a better... Uh, everybody has something that they feel I have over you. And so they look down on people. The Ramban says that an anav is somebody that... They don't look down on other people. They're never permitting themselves that luxury of being condescending but rather they always look up to everybody. Everybody is like greater than me. Why? Listen to what he says. Let's say there's a person that's smarter than me or he's richer than me. Okay, I have to respect him. There's something to be respected about being a smart person. Chachma is something that you should, you should honor. Honor Chachma. The Gemara says that Rabbi used to be Mechabed Ashirim. Ashirim Aishir is also something to it. It doesn't mean you have to you know, bow down to a Gevir, but you have, there's a certain respect that you have to give somebody. You could give more tzedakah, you could help a lot of people get jobs. There's something to be said about an Ashir. So you have to look up to those people. The Imrashu. Okay, let's say I'm the rich guy, and now a poor guy comes to me. So what's my attitude? How should I look to him? Or let's say a person that's schwach in learning comes over to me and I'm greater than him in learning. Think to yourself that he is more innocent than you. What does that mean? If let's say the person that's, let's say very, very, has a very weak background, in learning. He knows very little halacha. He knows very little gemara. He's mamish like a beginner. But you're already like, you know, you graduated. You're, you're a black belt in learning already. So I could look down on you. No, 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 you can't. Because if you do an Avera, then who doesn't do Averas? If you speak Lashon Hara, you're chayyid. This guy speaks Lashon Hara, maybe he never had the ability to learn Lashon Hara. You do something on Shabbos that's also your chayyid. He does something on Shabbos. Maybe he's, he's an Ainus. He doesn't know. He's a Teshaygeg. What he does is he's completely shady. He didn't yet learn those halachas. And so you have to look at every single person. There's something about every individual that when you look at that person, you can respect that person for something. If he's smarter than you, respect him for the wisdom. If he's not smarter than you, I'm envious of you because you try harder. Because you're a, you're a shaygig if you do an Avera. You're on a much higher madriga than I am. And this is something that the more that we understand this, the more our lives will be so much richer. That's how a yid should be. A yid should be somebody that is deferential. There's nothing worse than a person that's gaivadik. A person that feels that like a, it's just me and nobody else. And... And nobody is as good as me, nobody is as smart as me, I have all the answers, and these, they're so pompous that it's impossible for them to be because I don't want to give honor to anybody else. If I give honor to you, that means that I have less honor for myself. That's the way they think. But that's not the way that a yid is supposed to be. A yid is supposed to look at everybody like, wow, you're amazing. And the more that we're able to train ourselves to look at people that way, to be to be deferential to one another. No, you go first. You go first. The more that we're able to do that, the better we will be as human beings. The better we will be as, as, as malachim. This is the midah of malachim. We have to have a little Yerushalayim to do this. We have to believe in what we're saying here today. We have to believe that there is a Rabbi Yishalayim and that he expects this of us. We have to have a little bit of fear, and that will make us a stronger, more tightly knit yeshiva. There's a sefer called Reishis Chachma. Reishis Chachma is one of the most famous Musar Svarim. And it's a very strong dose of Musar. Most Musar Svarim are, you know, very user-friendly. You take a Mesos Yisharim, not so bad. Arfa Sadikim, not so bad doesn't really drill anything into you. The Reish Chachma is a safer that's like the strongest 
dose of medicine of Musser possible. And it's very frightening because I've never really learned the Rishi Chachma extensively or even maybe at all. I've seen a lot of Tyre from the Rishi Chachma brought in other songs, but I never sat down with the Sefer, quite honestly. But the Sefer is replete with vivid descriptions of Gehenna. It describes Gehenna to like a T, exactly what happens in Gehenna. So it's very frightening. And it's important to a certain degree to remember that there is a Gehenna. Not that we should live like constantly, you know, consumed and paranoid and, 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 and frantic about it, but Rabbi Shal Salanta used to occasionally take a candle, they say, and put his hand over the flame until, until he burnt his hand, then he took it off. And he said, because I want to like, get a little bit of a taste of Gehenna. The Gemara says that a fire that we have is a 60th of the, fire, of the heat of Gehenna. And so I want to taste a little, I want to remind myself what I'm up against if I don't do what the Rabbi Shalom wants. In this Sefer, Reish's Chachma, which by the way, Chaim Kanievsky said, he was interviewed and they asked him, what's a good Muslim Sefer to teach our children? He says, Reish's Chachma. He says, Reish's Chachma? That's uh, that you want the kids to get nightmares? He says, It's a good thing to learn, Reish's Chachma. But in the Sefer, Reish's Chachma, it says something else. There's a lot of non-scary muster in the Sefer also. And it says the following part. That when we come up to Shemayim after 120 years, one of the major questions that we will be asked is, Which means, did you make your friend a king over you? It's not going to ask, were you the boss? Did you get your way every time? Were you able to impose your will on your wife, on your children, on your friends, on your community? Were you really super strong and powerful? Did people quiver when you entered a room? That's not what they're going to ask. They're going to ask the opposite. They're going to ask, were you malachim? Were you angels? Did you have the ability to allow your friend to be the king over you? Were you mamuch? Your friend is your king. Because if you were able to do that, that shows that you got it. That shows that you were a Tairdikayid. That shows that you were living with the aim on the year on the rest of the Nazea of Kabbalah Satira. That showed that you strove to be a Malach Hashem Tzivakis. Because it shows that you were able to not have to hoard the covet for yourself, but that you were able to look at somebody else as being greater than you. <laughs> Did you stand up for your friend when he came over to ask you a question? Did you build up your friend when he had a problem? Or did you put him down? The worst thing that we could do in our life is to shuck. Shach is a Yiddish word, which means basically to... It's no good in English translation, I don't think. But it, it basically, it means to like really give a zinger, to give a barb, to like really put your friend down. You know, the type of put down that everybody in the room goes, ooh. That's called a shtach. And in yeshiva, sometimes that's like the great national pastime. You know, whoever can perfect the shtach, he's the king. And maybe when I was a Bakr, I also, you know, had that, that Yetzirah. But as you get older in life, you realize how disgusting Amida that is. What are you doing? You're taking a friend, you're taking a human being, and you're pushing him down so that you could be raised at his expense, you're pushing somebody else down so that you could be elevated for a second, you can get a little covered. You know, the Vilna Gain said that he only went on a seesaw once in his life. And never again did he, do, did, he, did he ever play on a seesaw with a friend. And they asked him why. And he said, because I couldn't stand the fact that when I pushed the seesaw up, inevitably my friend had to be pushed down. A yid has a hergish, I want to push you up. 
My job in life is to make the people around me feel good about themselves. I want to build you up. I want to make you more strong to deal with the vicissitudes of life. You have a social problem. I'm here to help you. Financially, I'm here to help you. Morally, physically, ruchnius, gashmius. I want to help you. I want to be mamluch you. I look up to you. I do. There's not a bacher in yeshiva that I don't look up to personally. I mamish look up to each and every one of you. For a bacher to be alive in 2017, in the age of smartphones, in the age of technology, in the age of, of all the things that are out there, and to be able to still be able to open up a Gemara and learn Abaye Barava, Rashi and Taisus, Aram and Arayved in 2017, to me that's, that's nothing short of miraculous. It doesn't take a Ramban for me to see the greatness in each and every one of you. Because I grew up in a time that there wasn't an age of innocence either, there was plenty of Yetzirahs back then, but it was much more difficult you had a tiger to do something, you have to sneak, and you got to go, and you got to hide, you got to run, you got to. You know, there's a lot more hurdles. Here you have it all in your pocket. You don't need to go anywhere. And so I am like in awe, literally, of each and every one of you. But you have to be in awe of each and every one of you. It's one thing for me because I'm not. But you should look up to one another. You're doing amazing, say to one another. I can't get over it. Like when you started in yeshiva, you didn't know how to, you barely you know, knew which side Rashi and which side Taisa was. And now look at you, you're, you're climbing, you're steiging, you're doing wonderfully. You did so great in that basketball game. You were like a superstar. You have such a nice voice. You're such a good balmanaga and you always pick out that perfect niggin to sing. You're balchesed. It's amazing that you decided to join this organization, that organization. You're visiting people in the nursing homes. Whatever you're doing, build people up. Don't just think about it and be jealous of it. If you share your admiration for somebody, that will also take away your jealousy because you'll feel like one with that person. I'm rooting for you. This is something that's incumbent upon all of us to think about during the Mass year. When we're walking towards Kabbalah's Hatayra, and there's the, the awe and the reverence of Harsinai that's looming in the not-so-far distance, some of it should be permeating ourselves, that we should be able to be Nayekavitzelazet, look at each other differently, take off your old glasses and put on your new glasses, and these glasses should be the glasses of the Rishis Chachma, that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from us. At the end of the day, after all is said and done, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to care about one another, to be closer with one another, to be mamlech each other. Serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the yeshiva is a great responsibility, but it's not just it's perhaps more. The beautiful part about being in yeshiva, you don't have to be in yeshiva to learn Tyra. Plenty of Balabatim that sit and learn Dafyaimi outside of yeshiva, or there's so many recordings online you could download the greatest shirim in the world. You don't have to be in yeshiva. What do you have to be in yeshiva for? To learn Tyra, you need to be in yeshiva? You can get all the, all the shirim that are, that are given in the yeshiva, you could probably get most of them online. So why do you have to be in yeshiva? The answer is that a major critical component of being in yeshiva is to learn how to get along well with other people. How to learn to be a better society. How to learn to care about one another. To look at somebody else and say, you're amazing. And when you get that out of yeshiva, then all the terror that you learn is like a billion times more chashen. Tyra itself is wonderful. But if you don't have midas, it's really worth very little, if not the opposite. It might be worse if you don't have bad midas. But when you're in yeshiva and you're learning Torah, and then, on top of that, you get this element of Adam into your bloodstream, 
and you know how to help others, you know how to care for others, you know that if there's a guy in the dorm that's sick, to remember to bring him food. You see if a guy is in yeshiva and he's not doing so well to put your arm around him and try to give him an extra boost. If there's a coffee urn, a hot water urn, and it's running a little bit low, fill it up with water. Volunteer, make a chillin', make a, make a, do something. The more that we're able to do for others, the more we will be enriched. And then the rest of our lives will be amazing. We'll be great husbands, we'll be great fathers, we'll be great community leaders. All because of what we gained in yeshiva. We have to learn the lessons of the Talmud Rabbi Akiva. They were great. There was no one greater. These were the 24,000 greatest Talmud Chacham of the Dar. But because they were somewhat not it was all somewhat worthless. So much so that they had to be taken out of this world because of that little detail. Obviously, it's not such a little detail. Obviously, this is a major thing that they were supposed to take out of the yeshiva. And if you leave the yeshiva without getting this, then it's like you weren't in yeshiva. So let's try during these Himea Sira to learn the lessons of the Talmud Rabbi Akiva and to try to look at each other like the angels look at one another, despite the differences. There are plenty of differences between the angels and there's plenty of differences between us. Different colored shirts, different colored yarmulkes, yeah hat, no hat. This yeshiva I came from in Israel, that yeshiva I came from in Israel, this community, that community. Sardi, Ashkenazi, it's many different chilukim that we can make between each other. The malachim also could have that attitude. Srafim, no, I'm not, I'm not in the Srafim team. I'm the, uh, you know, I'm on the Ifani uh, Akhaydish team. They don't see, that, see it that way. They don't look to teams. They don't look at labels. They look beyond that. They just are nice to Meshach They defer to one another blindly without making any judgments about others based on appearance, based on cat, nothing. And that's how we have to be. And this yeshiva provides us a unique opportunity. I went to yeshiva in high school and based matters that it was based a very it was homogeneous. It was like completely everyone was dressed the same. Everyone had to wear white shirts, black suits, black hats, sit us out. Everyone looked basically the same. And so and we were very close. But it wasn't such a finish to be close because we were all sort of the same. We were like cookie cutters. Here in Yeshiva, there's such a beautiful diversity amongst the Talmidim. I think it's the nicest thing in the world to see a room full of Talmidim, and everybody dresses a different way, and everybody has a different color yarmulke, and a different, a different mahalach in chayim. Some have a chasidish in some have a litvish in some, some have sardish, ashkenazi, yekish, everybody. And we all are able to come together. It's a beautiful thing. I once told Rav Aaron Schechter when I first started being the Mashiach here, he asked me to describe what the yeshiva looks like. It was a much smaller yeshiva. At the time, there were maybe 30 Talmidim. Actually, it was about this size. And, um, the, um, and, um, so, and, and I described the beautiful demographics of the yeshiva. You know, he's in Chaim Berlin, everybody's white shirt, black. I said, you know, there was guys with kippahs through gaz, there's guys with uh, velvet yarmulkes and leather yarmulkes and this and svar and mashkenazim. So his line to me was, he says, it sounds like you need not to be a mashkiach, but to be mashiach to be there. Because that's how, that's what Akhir Sayyam is going to look like. Like this. Going to all be able to come together and learn Torah together. The Garzavim Kebis, there's no, no judgments. We're all in it together. This is Klal Yisrael. All in one room. And we love everybody equally and we respect everybody equally. We don't judge anybody. Everybody, as long as you come to learn and to grow, you're Shalanu. This is something unique that we could take away from Yeshiva. When we graduate, it's not just with a diploma or with smicha or whatever it is that you're here for. It's the primary purpose of being in Yeshiva is to be Nayek Havid to look admirably at each other, 
to respect one another. Look at what he came from and look at where he is today. Look at what could have been and look at what he grew into. He's amazing. Okay, is he, is he me? No, he's not me. But, I, but with his kaychas, with his kishrinas, he shouldn't be able to even open up a gemara. And look, he's steiging. Or look at that guy. He's the tremendous masmid. He's a lamdin. He's the biggest, he's the smartest guy in yeshiva. I have to respect him. Everybody deserves respect. You just have to scratch a little bit and you'll find something major to respect about one another. And once that is felt, once I feel that you respect me and you feel that I respect you, then together this yeshiva will be the most amazing place in the world. And as the tefillah ends, we will all be able to say in unison, Kaddish, 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 Hashem Tzivakos. Have a good time.